welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Chimera, mutant, redhead, empath. These are all things that my amazing guest, Trish Mo and I are going to be talking about today. You guys, I've been, ever since I met Trish and got had the privilege of being on her show and discovered that we just were like, oh my God, you too? This, that? I have been so, and I know I always, always say I'm excited to bring a guest on, but this one, I really am. Like I've been so excited about this conversation because there's just so many amazing intersections between being highly sensitive and empathic and so many other things. And Trish is somebody who has really, really been through a lot of these things. So Trisha was born outside of Roswell, New Mexico, and has a long history of supernatural experiences in her own life, which include multiple near-death experiences and mediumship from a very young age. She also has a lifelong history of abduction experiences as well. She has now incorporated those psychic medium gifts through assisting others in haunting investigations, historical archaeology, cold cases, and missing persons cases, and professional genealogy. She is currently the host of The Missing Piece with Trish Moe on United Public Radio and 105.3 FM New Orleans, and formerly a co-host on Chasing Prophecy. Trisha is a freelance artist and photographer currently residing in the land of Oz and heart of the United States known as Kansas. She is the owner of Savage Roots Alchemy, Trisha Morris Photography, Lenore Vintage Beauty, Teamo. Vintage Beauty Teamo or Teamo Trishmo? <laughs> That's a, two different, yeah. Okay, Teamo Trishmo. Yeah. Uh, she is has a stu- studio where her work can be viewed in Topeka, Kansas. Trish studied criminal justice with a minor in psychology at the University of Canvas in Colorado, at Colorado Technical University, to include a focus on serial killers her senior year. Trisha is a certified clinical hypnotherapist currently working on obtaining her NLP programming certification as well. Oh my goodness. So do you prefer to go by Trisha or Trish? Either. Okay. <laughs> I think of you as Trish because I was, that's what, what I, how I meant. Yeah, so I'll people. call you Trish. Trish, I am so glad you're here. Welcome. I am too. And thank you for having me. I've, I've been looking forward to this. We always have amazing um, interactions and it's just it, it really um, made me realize with with people like you on my show, there's a whole other world of people out there that are, you know, weird, just like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and what I find is that, I mean, before you and I jumped on, jumped on, we started having some conversations about the MTHFR gene mutation and some of the new discoveries I've made about these things called bug, but you know, like basically there's this thing called blue bug, stork bite, and then the dimple above your butt. And I was like, and I was, so I was sharing with you and it's, and it's like, and you're like, oh my God, I have that too. <laughs> 
<laughs> and what I what I find is that conversations with other I, I love this term that recently a friend of mine shared with me of of calling us neurospicy. Um, you know, and I really I love talking with other people who sort of fit on the spectrum of neurospicy where where we start being comparing notes and going, you too, you got this thing too. Like also you were talking about heterochromia, which is, or known as witch eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's just so amazing. So I love how these conversations, like for one thing, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, it helps me to realize I'm not alone, that I'm not the only one going through this because, you know, you grow up around sort of the average muggles and they're mm -hmm. all like, you just weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But before we go into like all of the why, you know, like go down the rabbit hole, because I'm sure you and I will. I just love to start with kind of just who are you like, where did how did it all start for you as a highly sensitive, empathic person? And obviously, you know, you grew up, you were born outside of Roswell. Roswell so like, that's just a whole thing to start with. Yeah. And near death experiences and mediumship from a very young age. So as well as a long history of abduction. So I'm imagining that started happening for you as a little. But I'd love to hear like from you, like what was childhood like? What was it like being sensitive? Did you know that you were different? Did you know that you were an empath? Did you know, like, tell me about your childhood. Uh, well, I grew up, I was born outside of Roswell, but then we moved to the south uh, southwestern corner. I, I was in the middle of the Gila wilderness. Um, for the for most of the younger part of my childhood, and so I was different. Be, I mean, before I was born, I was born. Um, I chirped. I like a bird from the time I was born. And my parents, you know, they took me to the doctor, thought something was wrong with me, and they, they said, "No, that's that's how she communicates. That's her crying." So I was literally speaking a different language <laughs> when I was born. I, I was almost. You know, I was a little over a year old when I learned how to cry from my from my sister, probably <laughs> my older sister. But and then, you know, there were by the time I could talk, I would tell my parents very in-depth stories about myself in other, I assume in other lives, because it was mm -hmm. nothing that, you know, a two-year-old would have seen on to and I told the the same exact story consecutively, you know. It, many times. And I, I remember it very clearly. And I would say, you know, I was a man and I was in this sword fight and I, you know, was laying there dying and all the, <laughs> so my parents were probably like, Oh, Oh wow. So, uh, but this was the eighties. Um, you know, people still didn't, still didn't talk about things like that. Um, I was, became terrified of the dark because I saw so many spirits and, and, you know, initially. I wasn't afraid of them until probably, you know, you get older and because nobody else accepts them. That's, I think that's when I started fearing um, ghosts and spirits and things like that, because I, I would say prior to four, even when I would be running around in the woods and, and everything, you know, and the elementals and I, 100% attribute my safety. It was like the entire forest was raising me quite literally because mm -hmm. there are so many things. I mean, I remember running into like mountain lions and um, Gila monsters and all, <laughs> you know, and, and none of them ever, obviously I was never harmed, 
but but once I started getting older and I was telling my parents about um all the ghosts in my room or spirits or or what have you, um I think that's when I started becoming afraid of such things because of course they would tell me, no, no, that you know, those things don't exist. And right. It's just your imagination, honey. Yeah. There's nothing under the bed. Don't yes. worry. <laughs> So I would lay there and my room was at one end of the house and my parents was at the other. And it might as well have been like 10 miles for me Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. the amount of entities from my room to theirs that were just magnet drawn towards me, you know, Mm. was, it was, it was like full waiting rooms of, of spirits waiting to speak to me. (laughs) And here my mom, you know, parents, here's adults saying like, rightfully so don't get me wrong don't talk to strangers and don't you know so as a kid you become afraid of all those things and right. and so i just i i think i blocked a lot of it out plus i was i did have so many experiences um with abductions from a young age and a, again these were negative experiences not not all of them i don't want to say all of them because i know there is there is an other races that have have saved my life um throughout the years but but i was you know in an area where where government testing and things like that were very um it's everybody knows about it there it's something you know on the arizona new mexico border white sands missile range you know that was probably maybe only a few hundred miles away. And then of course, truth or consequences, which I always think that name's funny. Um, New Mexico is where they used to have the the field of all those enormous satellite dishes, you know, that you see on, on like movies and stuff that was very close to us. And um, my, my dad would take me there, you know, and we'd get to go see the, the satellite dishes and stuff. But so I think a lot of the negative experiences that that probably blocked out a lot of my ability to embrace any of my gifts up until a few years ago was due to to trauma in those in the, in that sense, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I've also seen for so many people that the impact of being invalidated for picking up extra information yes. really messes with our ability to trust, you know, to, to trust our intuition, to acknowledge what's going on, because there's this cognitive dissonance and confusion that immediately gets activated anytime the paranormal information starts coming, because we are told at, you know, from such, like we're programmed from such an early age, this is not real. You're making shit up. You're just Mm -hmm. being overreactive. You're just being too sensitive right now. And, you know, like, you know, you've got, you're you're just a very imaginative little girl who can come up with these things. And so as a result, I think that it also creates this sense of like, we start fearing our own, we we start blaming ourselves and and perceiving ourselves as broken or Mm -hmm. wrong. And I think in many, many times I see, see people fearing what they're receiving because the message is this isn't real. Therefore it's you who's being cuckoo here. Right. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, because of my environment, because I lived on top of a mountain and, and, you know, um, was constantly outside and in the woods and everything, I, I remained very grounded because of that environment. I was, I became more quiet and I, I would um, read a lot and, and do things, you know, outside all the time and, and with my animals and stuff. But as far as 
thinking I was any, I thought everyone was like that. I thought everyone could communicate with animals. I thought everyone talked to plants and, and trees and, you know, dead people. <laughs> I didn't know that I wasn't like everyone else. I, and another thing back to the programming thing, even something as simple as, um, I started taking piano lessons and in art, I started, I was in a ceramics class and then piano one summer and I was very good at it. Mm-hmm. I, I was just a natural at it. But then my teacher said, um, again, one of those things, I mean, I probably innocently and, and not thinking about the long-term results of, of saying that to a child, but, but these things specifically stood out in my mind. She said, there's, there's no way you can, you can be that good. You've never had lessons. You've never had. So every time, you know, it was, I was like, okay, well, so my recitals, my mom was like, she would always get so upset because I would go up there and I would purposely make mistakes and I would purposely slow myself down to act like a beginner and I would purposely. And so that became a pattern mm-hmm. because I didn't want to look any better or different than any of the other mm-hmm. kids. I didn't mm-hmm. think it was okay that we each had our own individual, you know, strong points and skills and, and things like that. So in, in an effort to fit in, I... I completely downplayed any artistic or creative talent I had back then. And, yeah. and that was a fear of mine forever, actually, up until I was, uh, gosh, it was during the shutdown that I finally um, opened my, started doing art and photography permanently, you know, and because I, from, from that moment, like that was the broken point where somebody told me as a kid that I couldn't do that, you know, or that, that I shouldn't do that in that way. So, but yeah, I, once we moved to a city and and I got older, um, I just hit it, you know, forever because it wasn't normal. And I became very religious, um, up until, up until I got Lyme disease and, um, I had had numerous things happen in my life. I mean, I, I was struck by lightning. I was like 12 at summer camp. I was electrocuted in high school. I, um, I started having seizures when I was in like mini strokes when I was probably 18 to 20, maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until much, much later. It was was 2018 that I got Lyme disease or well diagnosed anyway. Diagnosed. Yeah. That Uh, that journey from getting Lyme disease to being diagnosed is usually a long one. Well, and that turned out to be, I think that's just the time I tested positive for having an active infection of it. I think I'd had it much longer. Um, Yeah. But all of that. um, And so I had a heart attack. Um, All these things, you know, which I learned, so Lyme in my family of uh, gene-mutated people, in my nuclear family of three generations, you know, my parents, me and my siblings, and my um, my nephews, there's nine of us, or there was nine of us, now my dad is gone. But out of the nine of us, basically, or wait a second, no, there's 12 of us, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, so yeah, my parents, there's like, parents, three kids and four kids, seven. Oh, not. Yeah. There is nine of us brain. So there's nine of us who are biologically related out of the nine who are biologically related. Seven of us have had either chronic or acute, you know, acute Mm -hmm. Lyme. And my joke is just the other two haven't gotten diagnosed with it. Like, you know, but it's so, it's so fascinating how, um, some of us are more vulnerable to getting it for sure. 
Well, and MS has the exact same symptoms of Lyme yeah. disease. Yeah. And there's no test for, I mean, there's different for the symptoms and stuff and things of MS, but there's no specific test for, for MS, you know, which mm-hmm. was always, I'm like, okay, so, but that makes sense to people, but. <laughs> right. But, but, but now God forbid, you know, you, you call it Lyme. Right. So what I just remembered what I was going to say was, so my mom basically contract finally got diagnosed with, um, and when she collapsed from Babesia and ended up in the hospital, my mom, my mom tested for all the things. And so we started taking her to a Lyme literate doctor. And one of the things that the Lyme literate doctor said that I did not know until then was that strokes and heart attacks are common side effects of Lyme disease because untreated Lyme causes so much inflammation and so much Mm -hmm. damage to the, to the entire body that Mm -hmm. many people will get, have a heart attack or a stroke. And I actually have an uncle who the way he went from being robust and healthy to having, you know, and he spent a great deal of time out in the woods in new England, he went from being robust and healthy to having a heart attack. And then within within very shortly after rapidly progressing dementia and then died, you know, fairly soon. And I, my sense has always been that, you know, I can never confirm this or, or prove it, but I'm kind of like, I would not be at all surprised if it was Lyme disease that ultimately took him out because he, he was fairly, you know, like he was in his seventies when he died and, you know, and was, was just, like I said, just really like sturdy. Like, I mean, this guy was like, like, I mean, he was like a, a, he was just like a, like a, one of the, like the giants in, in mythology. He was like this spectacular, yeah. dirty, huge person. So not like me. <laughs> well, and I've thought about with a lot of my family members too, that, you know, I've had uncles and, and such that died fairly young, you know, in their fifties or, or sixties. And again, all of us are the same way. All of us live in places you know, Alaska, Colorado, like New Mexico, all the mountainous areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they died of heart attacks. And I'm like, what, you know, the only reason, the only reason I did not die that time from, from a heart attack, I, I was in my living room, which is funny because I had just gotten a tattoo that says free. And it was actually based on a Psalms, uh, scripture and like literally that day i came home sat on my couch and i'm like oh man my my heart doesn't feel, you know and um all of a sudden i see this giant i had almost 20 foot high ceilings so i see this giant very very bright winged being i i can't really explain it in my living room and then all of a sudden i had a heart attack mm. and um when i woke up I didn't, I could, I was like, well, did that cause the heart attack or was it saving me? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I assume now it was saving me because mm-hmm. I, I was by myself, you know, nobody would have known, um, that it had happened. Um, and, and it's, it, that's really where after that point was when, I became more awakened as far as spiritually and everything else. There's a, there's a certain I don't know. It's not even, it's, there's a certain wisdom of life. I mean, of one's own life, I guess that comes 
with death or from mm-hmm. touching death, I mm-hmm. should say. Mm-hmm. It can't be, you know, I can't explain it. Um, but my entire everything changed. It, it was literally like I was reborn at that point. And um, you know, I I quit going to my church because none of them believed me after that. I started seeing literal like literal battles of all kinds like mythological creatures in the sky and the clouds of angels and demons and in in the shapes of clouds. And I I even have pictures of so many of them that you cannot deny what it looks like or and but everybody kept telling me, no, 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 you're whatever, you're crazy, you know. And that's pretty much that was about the point when I started separating, um, it was about 37 ish, I guess, that I started, you know, all of my friends, all family, um, work. I just didn't resonate with any of it anymore. Of course, especially when you're sick, most people tend to fall away anyways, because they just don't know how to deal with it. And nobody likes, you know, being in that awkward position. Like, what do you say to someone? I was given like 1% chance to live because Mm -hmm. the Lyme had spread to, I had cardiac Lyme and neuro Lyme. Um, so it had spread to my brain and spread to my heart. Um, I had my, my brain was covered in white lesions and, and they said, we don't know what to, there's no cure. They said, you either make it or you don't, you know, there's not much we can do for you, Trish. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to stop going. I had like six specialists at the time. I was, t- you know, I was on different drugs that caused other problems and I stopped. I just stopped. I was like, no, no, no. I'm like, I am 37 years old. I was 38 at the time. I might have turned 38 somewhere in there, but um, it's one of those pivotal moments in my life that that I thought, why? All my life, I've let everyone else tell me who I am, who I am, and mm. what I'm becoming, and what I'm doing in this life. And that's not that's not me. That's not me. If I'm going to die anyways, and I only have six months left to live, why am I going to spend that time seeing doctors and hooked up to monitors and in hospitals and on drugs and stuff? I, like I felt that, especially with Lyme, you get the the herxing reaction uh, to the drugs. I'm like brutal. <laughs> yeah, so I'm yeah. like I might as well. I'd rather not take anything right. and die in peace. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so I stopped. I stopped seeing any of them all together. I don't, I mean, no, I don't recommend that people don't do that. <laughs> like that's, you should, you should always consult with your doctor, I'm sure. But for my, my purpose then, I wanted to do what I enjoyed, which meant spending time with my kids. And I started, I started creating art again. I started painting again. I started writing again. I'm an excellent writer, but I quit all of those things for so long. And I completely changed my diet. I went back, um, I got my personal training certification. So I mostly by default, because I was learning more about my, you know, the human body and, and such. And, um, it was like six months later, I, I felt great, Mm -hmm. um, between a mental physical, you know, I started walking and, and exercising again every day and, and changed what I ate. And I, they're like, we don't know what you're doing. I did go back and I had a brain scan and they said, you've healed the white lesions in your brain. And then, you know, things happened and, and again in my life that um, some very bad things that I ended up having to move right away and we, we lost everything in our house. And, and I was thinking, you know, these things, it didn't make me consider this point of my life until you just mentioned that, that, that these things, I always think that things happen absolutely for you and not to you because mm-hmm. 
it was just yesterday I was reading about um, because I had to move, I ended up becoming a um, a table game stealer at a casino, which is a really difficult position job for an empath. But I was reading about Alzheimer's and it said people who play card games because of the mental calculation, if they ca- if they do it young enough and somebody who is if their brain was damaged due to whatever and and they're at the early onset of Alzheimer's because people can get Alzheimer's at my age, you know, 41. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they said if you if you catch it in time and do something every single day, like playing cards, it almost reverses the effects and you don't go into that early onset of Alzheimer's. So here I was dealing, you know, 100 hands an hour. That's all that mental calculation stuff until the shutdown actually probably saved my, you know, I probably wouldn't have, would have gone into complete dementia and Alzheimer's by now, had I Mm. not done that, you know, so. Although I also, you know, I've had this conversation, there's an interview back in the first season with my friend, Carrie Mitchell, who basically she refers to the lost, you know, the 10 lost years, like she, and what I've noticed for so many of us is that while have, I mean, I absolutely agree with you, like work with your doctor, find a team of healthcare practitioners and professionals who feel right to you. Don't just Mm -hmm. say like, screw it. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. But what I have seen again and again for so many of us is there is a point of deciding that we're going to take it in our, into our own hands and we're going to fight for our own life. And we're going to we're going to do like, we're going to be the one who says I'm in charge of whether I live or die and not on my watch. I'm not going to let myself go. And I've seen this be like, just, there's a way in which that decision of like, no, my terms, my boundaries, instead of giving our power away to a doctor or to a diagnosis or to anything else, it seems to me that that is definitely one of the things that makes a difference is that I am not going to like I'm going to be proactive in my recovery. I'm going to be invested in my recovery. I'm going to be involved in my recovery. So I wonder, I'm imagining that playing cards absolutely has done amazing things for rebooting your brain. Mm-hmm. I'm also wondering if the decision that you made that you were like, you know what, I'm not going to spend the last six months of my life just like on a pick line being absolutely beside myself with Herxing. No. Yeah. And and that's that's the thing. People with Lyme are are there's so many across the world that are bedridden and think that that's the only way. And and the thing is, even now, if I get in the, you know, if I happen to get sick or come down with something or whatever, and it my immune system attacks itself, sure, it's easy to lay in bed and feel sorry for yourself and, and stuff. But that, you know, it's one of those things like like if you have a cold. And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go take a shower. But then once you do, you feel so much better afterwards. Well, it, and, and it's the same with Lyme. You have That's to not just with a cold. Well, no, it's with anything. You have a cold, yeah. risk. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying when people are sick. So, so with Lyme, when I'd be sick and thinking my muscles are all in play and my joints and everything, the best thing you can do is it's to move them, the to move yeah. them yeah. Or, or walk or whatever to move right. that lactic acid because- right. And then I would, I would metaphorically be laying there and thinking, I'm like, oh God, this is like a cesspool of negative negativity. There's no flow and you get stuck in that, you know, uh, it's, it's literally like being stuck in the mud of, of your life because 
you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything about it. So I think, I think I'm, don't get me wrong. I think doctors are great. I think modern medicine, you know, um, it's a miraculous sure. thing. It's it really, is, it is, yeah. but, but I think, and we were talking about even, you know, even supplements and stuff can lead to other problems and, mm-hmm. and, and vaccines and, and antibiotics and everything else causes a different reaction. So also with those and, and with doctors, I'm like, man, all of my doctors were kind of narcissists. And if I had believed all of these people telling me I was going to die, then I would have, then I would have, if I would believe that, you, you know, it's with, it's with anything. And then, and that's really where, where I started when I started researching my own bloodlines and my own, um, my own body for them. And I, I had no idea I was a chimera until, um, even though that had been discovered, you know, years, years ago, like in early 2000, um, but they didn't have that much research on it then. So then between that and researching my own genealogy and realizing that my own family, my own bloodlines, literally, because I have two different DNAs had been at war with each other quite literally since the beginning of time. I mean, all the way back through the Vikings and they fought each other in the civil war and with the native background and everything. And I'm like, that's kind of, it's like my body, like this, you know, planet of Trisha here has to learn to get along with each other. So my immune system doesn't attack itself every day um, to, to live, you know, to live on the same planet. (laughs) So you, so you heard my telepathic prompt because I was like, let's talk about chimeras. I literally just sent that to you. (laughs) And then you just said chimera. So for people who have never heard this term, let's get the definition out. What does chimera, what is a chimera? Oh gosh. I know the, the clinical definition or I don't know the definition that makes sense to actual people. Like, you know, um, a, a chimera it, that goes all the way back in mythology to even Egyptian times. You know, they have the yeah. great sphinx and they they have, gosh, in Greek and Roman, they yeah, have like so the many Minotaur, the yeah. Yeah, Pan, yeah, um, tours. But the actual, I because I looked this up once. The actual um, scientific term, as far as biology goes, is a single organism composed of cells with more than one distinct genotype. So in animals, this means an individual derived from two or more zygotes, um, which can include pro- possessing blood cells of different blood types. Mm. So that can also be like if the zygotes were of different sexes, then that's how people can end up having both female and male sex organs. And, they can be yeah, um, intersex. Right. Yeah. So So all of these things... You know, I think there's tons of people out there that are chimeras that have no idea. Have no idea. In the last, you know, in the last, well, 20, 30 years, I would say all of these people who, and, and kids that are telling their parents, um, you know, it's like, it's like pronouns and stuff. They, they don't think they necessarily identify as what the gender they were born with or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about it in this scientific fashion, um, again, I've, I've, that's kind of a defense mechanism in my own life that I always find something to back up anything, even though I know, (laughs) but for all of the, (laughs) 
Well, you, we, I mean, it, and I think that this is another casualty of being invalidated your entire childhood right. Right. and, and growing up around the prove it. That's just not real. You're just making this stuff up that we get used to being able to back ourselves up and we get used to being able to, you know, present, you know, like, like that validating evidence that's yes. going to back up the, the, what we know with, with something that's accessible to people. So I I'm right there with you in terms of like having having the science to back up the the knowing I think actually can often be very helpful. So yeah, especially totally. you know when you're trying to explain to people um who might not, you know, might have different viewpoints or not understand how somebody can you know be in one body and have different because it, it, even by explaining these things to um, my psychiatrist and things like that, I absolutely don't have like a multi multiple personality or disassociative um, disorder. What I realized was happening after the last time I died, it's like my, tw well, they think I might have been a triplet actually, because I have three of some organs. So it's like those, and now science has proven that personality and everything else can absolutely be transferred with even like an organ, you know, and organ transplants and stuff. So yes. if I have the organs of my twin and triplet, it's like they took over for a minute there. So anytime I was the one that was like, no, it, and it was absolutely not a higher consciousness. It was a distinct different being, which again, that would rewrite history and people's knowledge, you know, at what point is the soul incarnated? Yes, um, yes, yes. It would change everything. Well, and even the whole concept of walk-ins and people who say, you know, that they like go from one place to another. Interestingly, Carrie, who is the person who we, you know, I was mentioning earlier with Lyme disease, redheaded, assimilated twin, lost a twin. Uh, and, and you and I talked about this too, that I'm also an assimilated twin, but it's just kind of like, how amazing, like this sort of weird, you know, like, empath, gene mutation, Lyme disease, assimilated twin, all of these things, the way that they tend to merge together. I'm realizing just for the sake of the audience that one thing you and I are talking about as if everybody would know what this is, is <laughs> <laughs> herxing. Um, and, you know, and so I was just thinking like, for those of you who have not had the, um, uh, privilege <laughs> of, of dealing with chronic Lyme, like, like Trish and I have, um, there is this thing called Herxing or it's known as the Herxenheimer reaction. And essentially my short version of it is that it is that when you start, start treating the disease, the die off from the, from, from the stuff that you are, that is being addressed makes you feel substantially sicker than if you just leave it alone. How's that for an answer? Does that fit with your experience or do you have anything to absolutely, add? Absolutely. But, but I yeah. think that that absolutely also explains life in general, because when you start going through these different spiritual awakenings or you start reflecting upon your life, I consider that even though physically, because there's like mental and emotional and spiritual herxing too, now that, yes. that I think about it, now that you just mentioned that, yes. because I'm like, oh my gosh, because when you go back and you look at situations in your life and from childhood and everything, where you learn um, different perspectives, you know, as you get older, it's, it hurt, like 
man, I have had some breakdowns when I thought about, you know, was shown a different a, a scenario from childhood that all this time I was hurt over, or I was, I was angry about or whatever. And I saw it from a different perspective, mm-hmm. like my parents or whoever, you know, my friends or where I was at. And that's painful. Like to think that I was holding resentment for something all my life. And then you, when you release that and you forgive yourself, that's to me, that's the same as hurting, but spiritually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Well, and you just reminded me of when I was in seminary, um, there was in some ways, one of the most like devastating classes that, um, that a lot of the very, very convicted in the sense of like very strong in their convictions, like evangelicals and very more conservative Christians, when they took these classes on not just like um, Bible studies where you're just going through it, but like history, like the history of Christianity mm-hmm. and the history of Bible study and like information where things were starting, like where it's not just like you're reading King James Bible and accepting it as the word of God. But right. where people were really starting to like extract things and learn things about it, it was really fascinating seeing how hard it was for the people who had been raised in a culture where the you know King James version is the literal word of God. Yeah, you suddenly have these people like basically poking holes through everything that they'd been learning, and for those of us who had been raised in a much more sort of like in inquisitive world because I was raised as a Unitarian Universalist. So, I mean, the joke about the UU is instead of a cross burning in the middle of their lawn, they burn a question mark. Um, (laughs) You know, so I was used to inquiry, but it was so amazing to see like how incredibly hard it was for these seminarians who thought they knew things and thought that they like thought that they had the the ang- the market, you know, like that they they were sure about it. And in hindsight, as you're talking about this, I really do think that they kind of went through these spiritual herxes where things were starting to like the solid foundation was shaken underneath them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, one thing I, I always heard, it's interesting you put it like that, because I always heard from spirit um, years ago is no leaks and stop the leaks and, and I'm like what is what does that mean is that and I would go around I'm like, I'm like a little kid I mean that comes with with autism too but but I'm like is it something in my environment is it something is there going to be a flood is there going to be but you know essentially with with anything with any metaphor it's like if you poke holes a bunch of holes in a boat eventually it's going to sink. If you, if you have a bunch of little fires, those eventually add up to a big fire. Mm-hmm. But then of course, with, with my life, you know, as above, so below things actually happen in that manner. So as in, it'll be something very personal to my own life, some lesson, but then it'll also be something in my uh, kind of general vicinity. Like it could be just in, in my town or even just the Midwest and then something on a, on a bigger world scale. So mm-hmm. a few months ago when I got sick again, it was, it was in April actually the first time. And I was at this, I was doing the photography for this festival and it was, we were surrounded by all these trees and they had cleared out, you know, the middle and stuff. And, and there were all these little people had started all these little fires, you know, because they were camping there. Well, all of a sudden, the entire forest is engulfed in flames. Oh, my goodness. 
I, I kept telling people and nobody was, was listening to me. You know, it was, it was a 420 festival. They, they might've all been high. I don't know. I was probably, I was probably like <laughs> the only been. one. Yeah. I was probably the only one, you know, I'm there as the photographer and I'm like, um, that looks, that looks like a, a forest fire. And, and everybody's like, no, no, no. It's just, it's just, it's campfires. It's bonfires. Well, I was taking pictures and I kind of got up on this hill and I had turned around with my camera and I took a picture of the entire forest on fire. And I'm like, well, everybody's just watching the world burn here. And, and that is, again, a metaphor. The entire world, like our world, because we're down in this cleared area, but our oblivious, everyone's oblivious to the entire world just burning down around them. And or I- like, <laughs> no, it's not happening. No attention to the man behind the curtain. Exactly. I don't, know, did, I don't know if you saw the Netflix movie, Don't Look Up. Um, it's, uh-uh. oh, it's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. No. It's about an, essentially, it's about an asteroid that is about to hit the planet and about the, all of the different systems that are deeply invested in denying uh. what is happening. And um, it's it's really, I mean, it's really uh, scathing, a scathing, scathing indictment of modern culture and our capacity to ignore. Oh my goodness, going it's, on. It's it's astonishing. And and the funny thing yeah. about that was that when I got there, I parked at the gate and I told the security guard, I'm like, can I park here because I feel like it, you know, it was a full moon. Um, it was the pink moon. It was. I said, and, and I backed in and he's watching me like I'm a crazy person. I get out, like I'm putting like salt and oil around my vehicle, <laughs> like, he's like, which helps me because I was like, oh, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon as I, before everyone started panicking and running and the fire trucks got there, I had already left because I was like, I can't deal with yeah, chaos. I'm, like I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. And I told him that and he was looking and he told the uh, another guard, he, guard, he's like, that's probably a bad sign. It, you, it's funny. You said, don't look up because I was looking up at the moon, you know, and, <laughs> and he's like, it's probably a bad sign when you see a witch just staring at the moon and start like putting some protective something or other all around her vehicle. I'm like, I was like, yeah, be careful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like what else do you tell? Because nobody believes you. Like you can only you know. Right. Right. You do, so yeah, you do what you can do. <laughs> I, but I, I, that was a, a big metaphor in my life because I was yeah. seeing it through a different lens than everyone yeah. else, you know? Yes. And, yes. Yeah. Well, and I, I, you know, I really, one of the things that I've been really getting at a deeper level is that all of, you know, what sort of within the kind of again, the category or the term that I've been using lately of being neurospicy, whether it is empath, highly sensitive person, intuitive, medium, psychic, um, you know, somebody with, with a sensory processing disorder, autistic, all of these things are a capacity to perceive the world in a way that the average muggle does not. It's like this ability to see and receive more information than the regular person does. And, you know, I I got sort of channeled a saying a number of years ago, like my guides came through and were like, you know, they they showed me this thing. They're like, 
your world is living by colorblind standards right now. Most people do not see the full spectrum, but instead of those of you who can see a broader spectrum being validated and acknowledged for what you can see, you're dealing with people who are like really invested in their colorblind standards. And so I started living with, you know, don't judge your don't judge your empathic rainbow or your neurospicy rainbow by colorblind standards. But we live in a culture that is living by colorblind yes. standards. And I, I mean, part of my work, and I believe part of your work is we're the ones who are saying, yo, there are a lot more colors here. There's a lot more stuff going on here than meets the human eye. And I, and, and for me, it's like, I am drawing a line in the sand and saying, no, this is real. These experiences are happening. And if we're going to turn the planet around, y'all need to listen to us and stop denying what is true. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's, especially, you know, now that, gosh, I still have trouble with that because Topeka's this was once called the psychiatric capital of the world. And as a medium and Topeka all of these, has been yeah. called the... <laughs> yeah, because they used to have, they used to do miniatures was originally here. Well, it's still here. It's abandoned now. They moved it to Texas, but oh my goodness. And the different, like there's Glorus Sanitarium. There's, there's a bunch of different ones where, and there used to be some of what were considered the most advanced medical doctors and, and scientists and everything else here. But now that I'm learning, when I go, I can barely go to those places because all the spirits there, they, they did because they were different because those people were different. Um, you know, if you, if you talked about anything like that back then in the 50s, 60s, 40s, even, even probably before, um, they'd put you in a mental institution mm -hmm. and they did mm -hmm. such terrible, terrible like, things. Oh my gosh. It is so hard because I think of all the brilliant, amazing, gifted souls. I mean, even if it, either way, it's terrible, but, but I'm saying, what oh, we just killed them. We just killed them. Like we, and, and people forgot about them. Just shut the door, you know, like just left them there and turn their turn, turned a blind eye, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm very close to that because, uh, as somebody who has been experimented on numerous times for, for different reasons or, or used, you know, for my psychic abilities or whatever, um, especially, you know, like the government stuff, it's one thing, especially with, with abductions and such, and people always ask about that. I'm like, well, it's one thing. It's almost like we're more forgiving when it's a different race of beings that's doing something to us because that's no different than us, you know, frogs probably yeah. assume yeah. that we're the aliens coming to abduct them when mm -hmm, we, you mm -hmm. know, dissect them in, <laughs> in biology class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but that's one thing because it's like they don't know any better. But for other humans to, knowingly do those things is is very hard to to get over and uh it's really hard to reconcile like i think it yeah. and and i think as empaths i really believe that we understand ourselves as cells in the body of the earth in a way that that the average person who's been so compartmentalized and so like uh, cut off from their sensitivity, cut off yes. from their awareness of all things, 
that they don't necessarily feel that interconnection and they don't necessarily understand that like, if you do this to that person, you're doing it to yourself, like Mm -hmm. as above, so below as within, so without like that we are you, I am you and you are me. Um, you know, like (laughs) now I'm hearing the Beatles song in my head, (laughs) you know, I am the walrus, but, um, but that, you know, it's so, it just, for us, I think it brings up such a deep sense of like, why, like, how, how can you possibly do that? Like, it hurts when you do that. It hurts me when I do those things to other people. How can I possibly, like, like, no, this cannot continue to go on. I think, um, and that's, that's where I've actually completely transformed over this year. I swear everybody keeps, I'm, I'm like, everybody I've interviewed on my show this year has been such a piece when you're talking about, you know, when we talk to other people that have these things in common. And when I named my show, The Missing Piece, I didn't know. I I guess I it's one of those things like you just, you know, some things are called different things in different areas, whatever. But I didn't even put two and two together that like the puzzle piece and the handprint was the autism, you know, because I was just recently diagnosed as being autistic in the last few years. So that's something that was newer also. And I was probably, into, I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not defined by that. Like everybody's very unique and very, you know, we, we always define ourselves. If, if I wanted to define myself by all my illnesses and, and whatever, I would have so many, I'd be like a domestic violence survivor and, you know, like a single mom, whatever, you know, all these things, but we're not, it's not what has happened to you or or what you're classified as in society or or any of that. I don't think I don't I I think it's what you do with it, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like none of those things are going to define me. So right. but I think by having an invisible immune suppressant disease and abductions being, you know, nobody believes in that, and talking to dead people, nobody believes in that. And that even mirrored my years with a very abusive partner who everyone thought was the greatest person in the world on the outside. Mm. So all of these things in my life, like have been, you know, something that's, that's living with, or, or even living with, you know, a twin and a triplet inside of me, like in Navajo beliefs, if you kill one of your family members, then you become one of the evil ones, one of the walkers, you know? And and mm-hmm. that's, te- I guess, by definition, I technically would have done that before birth, you know, by survival, not, well, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I, I even struggled with that for years and being haunted. Like my other siblings uh, within me quite literally haunted me for years. I mean, it's just recently that we came to a point of them forgiving me and and seeing the bigger picture and me forgiving them you, you know what i mean like yeah. an inner yeah yeah you came um, to came to reconciliation right well, it, it's interesting because in in my case i got a very very have the, the story that i i tell myself or that i know is that in my case um i believe i would have had a fraternal like i would have been i would have had a fraternal twin i would have had a brother Um, and I really believe that it was a deliberate choice on the soul of the other person that they were like, this is not like, this is not, you know, like peace out. Thanks for the fish. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stick around. And for me, it was this, I was looking for him everywhere, Mm -hmm. everywhere for the first like 30 years of my life. I was like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? So I had this incredible sense of like, despondent abandonment 
yeah, that I experienced as a result of that. And so I think, you know, in some cases, it may be the survival of the fittest or, you know, the, you know, the stronger twin that assimilates. Other times, I think it is that the soul of the twin or the twins or the the other siblings just are like, yeah, not going to do this. Don't want, you know, like this, this is, this ain't for me. You're going to get, you know, here, you get to deal with all of it. Well, and, and that's, that's what, and I had a break. I mean, this was just like a few months ago, actually, that they said, no, listen, you are the one with that perspective. You are like, you're the one that's blaming yourself for, for killing your twin or, or whatever before. No, they're like, no, we gave you our lives because we knew that you needed them to be stronger. You know, if I didn't have three spleens, I wouldn't have survived all these diseases I've had. I wouldn't still be here. Well, and like being an assimilated twin, sometimes I also feel like it prepares us or gives us everything we need. Like we have superpowers to be able to complete our mission and to do the things that we are here to do. That we're like, we might look like one being, but we have sort of like more more stuff going on than than the average person does and it allows us to do certain things too and and i think when you go back you know we always try to heal the symptoms of things with with supplements or medicines or vaccines or whatever and and that's when i really changed my mindset on that i'm like okay there's a reason i'm like this and and I think about plants, you know, and I, I used to have, I love plants, but I used to be terrible at growing them mm-hmm. because I would either overwater them, underwater them, something they'd get rerot. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. With the human body, you have to have balance. So if you, if your soil is, is too acidic or alkaline or, you know, you, you get too much water or not enough water. And that, that could metaphorically resemble attention or whatever anything in excess is bad, you know, and, and really most, but there's also different plants that are equipped for that. So around that time is when my daughter started painting cactuses and I'm like, you know, a cactus can go a long time without water because they store it differently. And I was like, maybe in our family lines, you know, with inflammation and stuff and, and how the moon affects people with the water and everything. So when I started looking at things like that, I'm like, okay, so myself, these bloodlines finally came together since we've been fighting and trying to kill each other throughout since the beginning of time, right? It's like cats and dogs, but they came together in one body. So it would yes. be equivalent to trans, like planting something and its roots being intertwined with something else that is maybe toxic, mm-hmm. but they have to evolve in that way in order to grow. So I'm like, you have to start the root of problems. You have to start at the root of, you have to go back through your genealogy. You have to, there's things in in that alone that I'm like, oh my goodness, nobody ever talked about great, great, great uncle so-and-so that whoever's like daughter was probably his wife. Like there's weird stuff in history. I mean, not just my family, like this is anybody's I do. Anybody's. Well, and it's so fascinating how much information, you know, like, I mean, how much information is lost? I've, you know, I'm not actively doing genealogy, but it's like my ancestors are kind of like, they're revealing themselves to me and they're kind of dropping in and I'm learning things about like ancestors were like, I had a great, 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 great grandfather who was really, you know, he was, he was like a governor of mm-hmm. in more than one state, like 
governor of Montana and governor of like, I, I think I can never remember was Kentucky or Tennessee, but like, I had no idea. Nobody in the family seemed to have known this. And it's just, it's so fascinating, the kinds of stuff that you start discovering. And I mean, that's not even health related, but you just, where we start discovering it. Trish, I could have this conversation and I'm sure like there are so many things that I would just love to keep talking about. Like, I mean, we could do an entire episode on autism and (laughs) the autism empath intersection and, you know, and even, and also like what it means to be female and identify and, and recognize and diagnosed quote unquote as autistic as it, it, it shows up as such a completely different thing than what people imagine when they see this sort of stereotypical male with on the autism spectrum. Yes. But we are coming towards the top of the hour and I am, and I, so I want to be sure I've got three questions for you. So the first question that I've got for you is, what do you really want to be sure you say in this interview? Like what is, or in this conversation, what is the most important thing that you want to be absolutely sure you is heard in this, in this session? Well, I think, you know, we always, we always get told, and that's, that's where I was going with that. You you have to get to the root of problems. You have to, so, so that when people say, I've, I've changed my focus, necessarily changed the past. We can't change what we've already done. We're adults, but we can change the future in children. Yes. In children, that's the roots. That's the seeds for our future generations that are going to live on through us because generational trauma and, and even injuries and everything we know now follows them. So mm-hmm. investing in our children, not teaching them how to just supplement healing by symptoms, but how to actually treat it at the roots, how to teach emotional and mental, how how to connect that those are just as important as physical health in school and in learning and everything else. And, um, and that's where my, my new focus is, is going to with my, my businesses and everything else, because especially where I live, there's so much crime and so much, and you see it in the schools and you see how it affects all the way down to the kids. So, you know, we're so, we're so worried about investing in our own futures or leaving a legacy for our kids or having enough money or retirement or whatever for them. That doesn't matter if you don't Mm -hmm. invest in them from the beginning, in them, right from the beginning. Well, and instead of leaving them money, I mean, it's like what in many ways it's like healing the ancestral rifts and healing the, you know, healing the ancestral feuds that run in, I'm sure like you could, because I think the other thing is, as you were talking about, you know, having these two lines, I'm imagining that there were a lot of arranged marriages that happened Mm -hmm. as a result of peace treaties and the attempt to take warring, warring communities and kind of bring them together. I mean, even kind of looking at Romeo and Juliet and sort of like this idea of you're introducing these warring factions and you're and you're bringing them together through marriage or intimacy and sex and suddenly it's like it's it's you're you're recreating the pattern but what's so fascinating is you're saying you're you're speaking about it is like having these warring bloodlines within your mm-hmm. own system yeah. where where the the peace has not yet been met or yet made. So I, yeah, I mean, 
stop worrying about, I mean, yes, money's great. Having some kind of legacy is lovely, but like, I love the message of like, focus on your children as the legacy, not yes. on, you know, not There's, on the thing. Yeah. there And there's that saying, you know, and I, I keep seeing it everywhere. Um, uh, it sometimes it's not who you are, what you do in this life. It's who you raise, you know, and, and that doesn't, I'm not even, that doesn't even have to do, even if you don't have children, right. Even if you, that doesn't matter. It's how, what are you leaving behind? And that's one thing with studying genealogy. People are so afraid. There's so, I go through, I mean, not just my family, but other people's families as well. You go generation after generation, nobody really doing anything with their lives. Yes. Out of, you know, everybody just did what they're expecting. And then you hear all of them at the end of their life say, wow, if, if I would have had the guts to, or if I would have, you know, just stepped out of what my, I, I would have been something other than a farmer or uh, whatever was expected of them or, or just getting married and having kids or whatever it was. And they would have gone and explored the world and, and maybe, you know, found some of those missing pieces quite literally. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So my second question for you is, and I've been doing this with everybody, I love to think of this podcast as something that exists outside of time. And certainly we know that this is being recorded right now and it is going to exist for years after, after it's done. And it's broadcasting. It's like sending a signal forward into the future. But I also believe that the digital signature is sort of like, it's like a, it's like a, a, a ribbon or, you know, a, a sash that goes across time, a piece of fabric that goes across time. And it not only goes forward, but it can go into the back as well. And I sort of have this image of like, there's these moments that we are touching in the past as well as the future and that the fabric is just folding over on itself and you and I are at a place where we can access the younger, struggling, possibly terrified Trish, and we are back in time. And so what I love to do is imagine that we are not just transmitting, but really like back there with her and giving her, telling her exactly what she needs to know in order to become and do what it is that she needs to do. So if you can imagine, or maybe you know you were doing this, that you are there with young Trish. Maybe you you put your hands on her on her shoulders or you look her in the eye, whatever feels like the right way to connect with her. What do you tell her? What does she need to hear from you? I think I would say sing like a bird. You know, it's it's always the ones that uh like I was born that way. And yeah. and then my voice was changed by, by what was expected of me. So. Yeah. I'm just really hearing, keep singing, keep singing. Mm. And that's, that's something that people, people are afraid to do. But, but again, it's mm. like the man behind the curtain. What, what are you, what are you afraid of? What are you, what afraid, are you afraid of? of? Yeah. Yeah. You either make it or you don't just like my doctor said, but well, that's and- not up to anyone but you. Well, and, and yeah, you make it or you don't, but then also bottom line, we're all going to die. Like we have a right. very limited period. You know, these bodies are so temporary. Well, and why not go for it? It's never too late to, to begin again. You know, it's never, never too late to start over. And I've done it. I failed hundreds of times in my life at it most. And I've tried tons of things, Yeah, but that's the only way you live. Yeah. I don't want to live with regrets. Yeah. And and that's why I learned mostly with with communicating with the dead. You know, we're always 
regretting when someone dies because we might not have told them what we wanted to say before before they died or vice versa. They didn't, the dead communicate with me to say something to the living. But if we lived in the present all the time, then then that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. dead wouldn't be haunting me to give you a message and and you wouldn't be finding me to give them a message. So <laughs> like right. just uh just presence, you know, pre- yeah. the precious presence. Presence equals presence. It's almost Christmas season, too. It is almost Christmas season right now, although by the time this is recorded, it's post-Christmas, or I mean, this airs is post-Christmas season, but yeah. Krish, this conversation has been, as always, just beyond delicious, so rich, so I just, and I really love how you and I feel like you and I, like, get together and we dump a 5,000 piece puzzle <laughs> onto the table and we go, oh my God, and and put things together. Yes. And I love making puzzles with you. I just love making puzzles with you. So last question, which will be in the show notes, you guys, so you don't have to like remember everything, but how do people get in touch with you? Oh man, <laughs> six months, I'll probably, I'll probably change. So I'm combining everything into mm-hmm. one general landing page um, where you can reach all of my um, projects. And, you know, I've started writing um, science journals and finally a book and putting all of those together because all these years, you know, I, I have all these different certifications and degrees. And I always think that I'm not good enough that I still need something else or to learn something else where I don't know who to go to to ask. But, but as you just said, I have tons of people that I I have around me and you know just networked with this year even that support me and regardless of anyone else that has abandoned me in life or anything else that has happened that I've learned from that are excellent mentors and such uh, great wisdom you know that comes from people like yourself that um, spirit's been telling me like you have everything you need just. Uh, if you build it, they will come. Type, yeah. You know, type yeah. Thing. yeah. So that's, that's my main, my main website is um, just trishmo.com. Um, Perfect. And you guys, it will be in the show notes. And then also, if you want to really hear like Trish talking in the true, true, her radio show on United Public Radio Network, The Missing Piece. And that is P-E-A-C-E. It's kind of a play on yes. words there, guys. Um, it's also on 105.3 FM New Orleans that uh, it's a really wonderful talk radio. It's really, uh, and Trish just, I mean, you never know what amazing things she's going to be talking <laughs> about because it is a very organic, very, you know, just sort of follow the threads and see what comes up and discover, like it's it just explore things. So I highly recommend checking out Trish's, Trish's show as well, because it is just delicious. And there are a couple, if you go back in the art in the Wayback Machine in the archive, you can find a couple conversations that Trish and I had a while back now. <laughs> yeah. Trish, thank you so much for joining me today and for being here. This has been so rich. Yes, it's it's always a pleasure, Jen. I, I love talking to you. Um, and real quick, one one thing about the missing piece, it's funny, I started it in January. So I've I've almost been on my own with that a year now. I started with around a hundred, a hundred thousand listeners that I brought, you know, probably from Chasing Prophecy. And I am up to almost two million live listeners. <gasps> and but the thing, the thing, like you said, and, and we talk about fear and stuff, 
see people don't follow or, or subscribe or anything, which is fine. That's, that's not what it's about for me. It's, it's if I reach a person, you know, so I don't care about, about that. Like I know they're watching and listening, but, but they don't want to know they're associated with a crazy person. No, they, you know, there's topics. I, I just, I say what's on my mind. So I guess I, I'm not afraid of the the man behind the curtain anymore. No, <laughs> no. Funny. He's just a dude from Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With a balloon and uh, who kind of <laughs> got lost somewhere, but yeah. Yeah. And you guys, you know, I, as I will second that in terms of like a lot of people will listen, but not necessarily subscribe or even leave a review or a rating, but, you know, go over to Apple podcasts and give Trish a rating, like, you know, cause it really does make a huge, and, and while you're at it, come over to Apple podcasts and give us a rating here in the Apathic yes. Mastery Show. Because this is like, you guys help us to get the word out into the world. And that makes a huge difference. Everything will be in the show notes, guys. And uh, go check out Trish. Go check out her show. It's really awesome. Trish, again, thank you so much for being here. This has just been delicious. Absolutely. Thank you, Jen. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your Empathic Safety Guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.